I'll have them in and out and round about every hour God sends. And what of her ladyship, hoping for a peaceful end, and suddenly plunged into a three-ring circus? Well, I agree with Daisy. We'll get to know men and women we've only seen upon the silver screen, and it's good for the house. This is the point. An injection of cash could make all the difference. They mention how much. It's not our business if they did. Did not. Well, good night. Good night. Good night, Mrs. Still, times change and we must change with them. Mrs. Parker, we should be getting home too. Very good, Mr. Parker, I'm coming. <laughs> Daisy's more obedient with him than she ever was with me. Maybe he makes her happier. Well, I did my best. A moving picture at Downton. I know it sounds unlikely, but I'm not sure it's quite as often. I wish the boy well. I do. Mr. Murray, he's coming to Downton on Tuesday. What do you want him for? Well, it wasn't me, it was your grandmother who summoned him. He'd like us there. Rosamond, you should be with us. Oh dear. Why do you say that? There's only one reason old ladies summon their lawyers. He says you're expecting him. Well, why didn't you tell me? You shouldn't be so untrusting. Ah, have you told them, Lady Grantham? Good. Please. She's told us nothing. Well, that's easily done. I've come into possession of a villa in the south of France. And now I've given it to my great-granddaughter, Sibby. What? So what bit didn't you understand? I don't understand any of it. What villa? Where? This is too extraordinary for any words. It's called La Villa des Colombes, and it's near Toulon. But why was it yours? And why have you never said anything about it? Because I thought it was a joke. Start at the beginning. Years ago, before you were born, I was in France, and I met a man, the Marquis de Montmirail, and he invited me to spend some time at a villa he'd just bought. A year or so later, he wrote to me and said he'd transferred the villa into my name. I never thought he was serious, so I didn't pay any attention. But it wasn't a joke. It seems not. 
he died recently, and to his widow's alarm, the villa they've been using every winter for years was registered to Lady Grantham. He never changed it. <laughs> now I'll need some signatures. Oh, yes. Why have you given it to Sibby? So, welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Um, I just finished listening to Jason Almy's podcast, and thank you for the mention, and I'm sorry that Zuckerberg did that to you. Fuck him and fuck Facebook. So, let's let's get on with the show, shall we? Three years. Oh, my God. I almost said three years down the toilet, but in this aspect, no. Now... I had been intending to go to the theater to see Downton Abbey, A New Era. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Now, the first one my cousin and I saw in the theater three years ago. Picture it. September 2019. This is before the pandemic. And and naturally, yes, there was talk already of a sequel. And so Simon Curtis came on as director. And much of the cast returned. By the way, you're going to notice Hugh Bonneville is a lot trim, a lot more trim than he was in the last film and the TV series. Um, Maggie Smith is up to her old, you know, stuff. I, I love Maggie Smith as a Dowager Countess. Yes. Uh, after watching this film, I went back and started to rewatch the TV series. The TV series is exquisite. Okay, I know. Yes, yes, yes. I'm an American. Yes, I get it. I'm watching a British show. Well, I do have a little British in me. It's such a well done show. And I am fully aware that before Downton Abbey, there was Gosford Park, which Julian Fellows wrote and won an Academy Award for. It was directed by the late, the great... um. Oh, my goodness. And my mind, thankfully, I have the tablet in front of me. The fact that I, ah, oh, this legendary director, Mr. Robert Altman, who never won the Oscar, was given an honorary Oscar right before he died in 2006, where he revealed that 10 years prior, he had received a heart transplant. Interesting. Very revealing. But Gosford Park really sowed, sowed the seeds for what became Downton Abbey. And Julian Fellows went to create this extraordinary series. And, you know, I started to hear all these rumblings about it in 2011. And people started to talk about Downton Abbey. Or as some of my friends were saying, Downtown Abbey. First of all, it's not downtown. It's in the country. It's at the High Clear Castle. Okay? Many, many programs have been filmed at the High Clear Castle. Now, the film, the last film, I think, takes place. Let's see. Excuse me. All right, so the first film takes place in 1927. And this next film. Okay, so there's talk of the jazz singer. So it takes place 1928. There's a lot going on in the film. Okay, that's why I played the theme. That very famous, famous theme. Okay, Downtown Abbey became a movement. People were watching this series. They were talking about the series. That That is the makings of a, of a true television movement, is when people are talking about it. They're not just watching about it, because some people watch their shows and they shut the fuck up. But when it came to Downtown Abbey, people on every face of the earth we're talking about it in droves and here in america we were watching it on pbs so it first premiered in 2010 and then it came over here in the u.s 
in 2011. Kind of like how the Beatles started out in England in 1962. And then America, they came here in 1964. We always get shit later. All right. And, you know, it was it was another British invasion by way of television. Now, it was inspired by Upstairs Downstairs from the 1970s. Because there is the connection there where the servants and the people that they serve have a connection. They're all in it together. Yes, they are divided by class. Okay. And socioeconomic status. Oh my goodness. But the series that the series became something where you were talking about it with with people that you wouldn't necessarily talk to, okay? There were people of all ages, races, socioeconomic backgrounds that watched Downtown Abbey and talked about it extensively. So when it ended in 2015 in the UK and in 2016 here in the US, there was talk of a film. Now, at first I thought, okay, we don't need to do a film. They did that with Sex in the City, and look what happened. The Sex in the City films, in my opinion, were very unnecessary. The show stands alone. And so I assume that with Downton Abbey. Oh, was I wrong. The films, the films added more of an extension to the story, to the narrative of, of these characters that we know, such as the Dowager Countess and Lord Grantham and Lady Grantham and their three daughters. Um and their grandchildren, and this, and the servants, and the people that they've come to know, such as Carson, um, Miss Baxter, uh, Mister Bates, um, <laughs> I'm look, I'm looking down the list. <sighs> okay. Mr. Mosley, Mr. Parker, Daisy, Mrs. Carson, Elsie, Anna Bates, all right, Dinka, um, Mar Lady Mary, Lady Edith, and Lady Sybil, and uh, Mr. Branson, who was, uh, he marries into the family, and, and Mr. Bar Barrow. Thomas Barrow, Barrow. I mean, this, this, every, everyone has a favorite in Downton Abbey. I've talked about this before, <coughs> but when it comes to the one-liners, I have to give it to Academy Award winner Maggie Smith because Maggie Smith has been dropping shade since you motherfuckers were in diapers. Yes, this is strong language, but I'm in a very interesting film mood. And I always, I always make it a point to tell people, before Maggie Smith did Downton Abbey, okay, and did My House in Umbria and The First Wives Club and uh, Yaya Sisterhood, she was a two-time, she still is, a two-time Academy Award winner. First, for the prime of Miss Jean Brody, where she gives this eloquent speech. And she's got that red. I, I always love Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith. I mean, and then California Sweet, where she's playing an actress who loses the Oscar. And then in real life, she wins the Oscar. It's an ensemble. But for me, if you look at the prime of Miss Jean Brody, okay? Very dramatic. She said, and, and she has that great speech where she's like, if scandal is to your taste, Miss Mackay, I shall give you a feast. And then Miss Mackay's, Miss Brody, I am a teacher. I am a teacher. First lesson always. And she just goes into it. 
And so she really deserved that Academy Award, as she did for the next one for California Suite, where she's playing opposite Michael Caine. Okay. Um, so Maggie Smith has clout, not just awards clout. She she was a theater actress. She worked with Olivier. She was part of the Shakespearean tradition of actors. And she was also real funny. The you know, there's a really great documentary called Tea of Tea with the Dames. And Maggie Smith is talking to Joan Plowright, who is Lawrence Olivier's widow, and says that she probably scared the wits out of Olivier because Maggie Smith did not back down. She was like, Oh, I think I scared the wits out of him whether he didn't know whether it was Tuesday or Christmas. Now, that is a professional. She's able to make you laugh. She's able to make you cry. And so whenever we talk about throwing shade, okay, or spilling the tea, Dame Maggie Smith is a professional at it. She doesn't even really have to say much. She has those eyes. She can say it with her face, with her body language. That is an actor, and... You know, her first Oscar nomination was for Othello, where she played Desdemona, okay, for Best Supporting Actress. Her last nomination, I believe, was for Gosford Park, directed by... <sighs> I, I was such a fan of his. So the fact that he didn't win for it, it always... It did bother me. And, and you know, it shouldn't bother me. Um... What a prolific director, and that is um, Mr. Robert Altman. And yes, Julian Fellows had, writ had written all those characters in mind. Think of, he's writing Gosford Park with Maggie Smith in mind, and then he writes Downton Abbey with Maggie Smith in mind. It is an ensemble film. It is an ensemble show. But Maggie Smith always is the scene stealer with great credit, okay? Because she knows how to deliver it. I have always enjoyed her and everything that she's in. From Tea with Mussolini. I mean, Tea with Mussolini is interesting because you've got Cher. You've got Joan Plowright. You've got Judy Dench. You've got Lily Tomlin. You've got this extraordinary cast directed by the late... Franco Zeffirelli, and it is a loosely based autobiography film of Franco Zeffirelli's growing up and how these British ladies called the Scorpioni took care of him. And, you know, I, I loved her in Sister Act, and but I have to say the prime of Miss Jean Brody. And I remember I first watched it and my mother said something about that character and I'm thinking, okay. And I watched it and I thought, ah, yes. Because there's those dramatic moments where she is openingly with those other teachers, okay? And she's trying to mold her students in her way, you know? And she's got that Scottish accent. She's like, oh, my girls would be prime pupils. Because she wants to mold them she want, in a very feminist kind of way. And when Maggie Smith won the Oscar, she didn't show up. So the late Alice Gosley of Bewitched and Designing Women showed up to accept the Oscar for Maggie Smith. And then in 1978, she showed up, won for California Suite. She's won Emmys for My House in Umbria and for Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. For Downton Abbey. So. The proof is on the page right there. Now. I'm not going to say what happens to Dame Maggie Smith. In the film. Because I know my cousin is listening. We are both Downton Abbey. Aficionados. And someone posed something to me. Where we were talking about age. And they were like. You know. And I, I believe in moving forward. I don't really look back upon like when I was 18 or 19 and think, oh, I wish I could go back. No, 
because it's been it's been written. But then they said, yes, but you like classic films and in the classic era. And I should have said, well, you know, I'm an old soul. I've always been an old soul. I've always been very aware of that. And also I retorted with my love of classic film connects me with our grandmother because that was her era. So when I watch those films, I feel that that connection is still very apparent. And I think she would have liked Downton Abbey because it was it's a very kind of soap opera-ish kind of way. It it's a it's a nighttime drama. It's in the tradition of those dramas that we watched in the 80s like, you know, Dynasty and Falcon Crest and Dallas. Those were the shows in the 80s. And while I didn't always understand what was going on, all I knew with, with Dynasty was, okay, there's two wives, there's shoulder pads, and there's money, and there's all this animosity and everything. Drama. And even um, the cul-de-sac, you know, um, Knott's Landing, I remember that. But like I said, I didn't understand what was going on, okay? In terms of certain situations, and then you you grow up and you look back and you think, oh, that's what it was about. But when it comes to Downton Abbey, that this is my generation's big time soap. And Masterpiece really has gone that direction of these really great dramas. There was a really great drama that I don't think is going to come back. It was called Victoria, and it was about Queen Victoria. You know, and we just uh, we just uh, had a big funeral for for Queen Elizabeth II. <coughs> but, and I'll talk about this at another time. While I really enjoyed Helen Mirren as Queen Elizabeth II, my favorite film about a royal is Her Majesty Mrs. Brown, where Maggie Smith's good friend Dame Judi Dench played Queen Victoria in such a beautiful, beautiful way opposite Billy Connolly, where he's playing John Brown, her her constant companion and good friend. And um, I don't think, has Maggie Smith played any queens? I, I don't know. But I do know that the queens love her and the drag queens love her and everybody. I mean... If there is ever an actor that you can basically recite or put into a meme or just use those words that they say. I mean, I think all of us who have watched Downton Abbey remember, you know, and I can remember this where she's like, your fight is not with me. It's with my daughter, Rosalind. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. And she just put that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay. And the most famous one where Matthew Crawley says, well, I'll do it on the weekend. And she's like, what is a weekend? Because remember, as the Dowager Countess, she is always up to something. I mean, I love it where she's talking to her granddaughter and she's like, nobody wants to kiss a girl in black. She's looking down at her clothes. So she's throwing that shade out there. Yes, I'm going to mention the other characters. Trust me, we've got time. But I, I, there are moments in this film where I'm just stopping myself like, that is hilarious. For life you lead. <laughs> Have you made many kinematographs traveling around the country? I'm afraid I'm rather glad to be missing it. Well, I know you're only doing it for the money, but it's all right. Oh, shit. Well, I never understand. Not really know that every man in the room just wants to give you one. <laughs> what a colorful life you lead. <laughs> See what I mean is the one-liners. I mean, the whole cast is just is is on it. They are on it. And I wanted to say something that probably some of you don't know is that Mr. Jim Carter and Miss Amelda Staunton in real life, are married. Probably didn't know that. Okay. 
um, Hugh Bonneville played the young um, uh, character in the movie Iris with Judy Dench. And uh, Jim Broadbent Broadbent played the older version. Okay. Elizabeth McGovern was in Ragtime. Michelle Dockery, she's gone on to do comedies. Penelope Wilton, we all know from Doctor Who. Okay. So this this ensemble cast is really on the money. All right. And Alan Leach, who has gone on to do Hallmark series, unfortunately. You know, you can't hold that against him. Um I mean, Hall I you know, I always I always talk smack about Hallmark on here. I only watch the the network for Golden Girls even though I have the DVDs, and Frasier, and sometimes Cheers. Yes, I do enjoy Frasier. I, I've talked about that before. I always found it funny. I guess that's a weird peg in my, in my collection of television. But we're talking about Downton Abbey and, and how these films, you know, unlike many ser- television series that turn into films, Downton Abbey really has run the gamut. Sydney's only daughter will inherit little, and I wanted to correct that. What family did he have, this Montmirail chap? The widow and son, the present Marquis. The mother is keen they should take the matter to court. Well, you can't blame her. Why? Are you writing again? I'm pleased. Edith's back in the magazine for a couple of days a week. And little Peter? As a wonderful nanny, thank heavens. Can you really work with two young children while running a house like Brancaster? So let's pull away, because I wanted to give you a taste. That's a taste of the film. Think about this. The series begins during the se- a- after the sinking of the Titanic, April of 1912. That's how Downton Abbey begins. And this film ends as talking films are coming into the forefront and they are filming a film which has to go into talkie version at the estate downtown abbey i at first you know i when i didn't see it in the theater i thought oh god that's a bad sign it's probably gonna suck but you know what i loved it i loved it it reminds me the first time i saw the movie in the theater with my cousin i said to her I said, do you just feel the chills? And she's like, yes, because you see that you see the uh, the cat, you know, the the Downton Abbey Manor come up on the screen and then you hear that famous music. When you hear that music, that's when, you know, let's hear it. When you hear that then you know this is real. And it was a celebration to see that film, to think, oh my God, these characters are back. That they're not gone in the past of 2015 when Downton Abbey made its final bow. That it's still, it's still here for us to enjoy. We get to see these characters in another light. And with the second film, I felt the same thing. So I enjoyed it. Um, I did pause because I, I had to record that show about Louise Fletcher. But I found Downton Abbey a new era. It's not Downton Abbey 2. It's a new era. I found it uh, very rich in um, its content. And and just to see the Crawleys again, being the Crawleys, Lord Grantham, or Crawleys, I'm sorry, the Granthams, Lord Grantham, you know, being Lord Grantham, Lady Grantham being Lord, Lady Grantham, uh, Michelle Dockery's character, you know, um, Lady Mary, Lady Edith, and the late Lady Sybil. And and Mr. Branson, who moved on with his life and found love again. 
So that's why I love these films is that it didn't take some weird, ridiculous scenario. It didn't thrust us. I think some people thought Downton Abbey after the TV series, the movies were going to push us into like the 60s or 40s. No, it continued in the time frame that it's in. Now, when other television shows become movies, what I've noticed is, is that it doesn't live up to the hype. Okay, but Downton Abbey one and two, we'll say that the first film and the second film really live up to the hype because we get to see this grand, these two grand. It could be the grand finales on the big screen. Okay, the first film is about the royal family coming to the house. And the next film is about a movie studio making a film at Downton Abbey. So we've li- we've moved into the modern era, okay? If you remember the first episode of the TV show, Daisy is lighting the fireplace and doesn't want to turn on the electricity. Because in 1912, people still weren't sure about electricity as they are now. The ship that was said to be unsinkable sinked. And that's how we ended up in the Downton Abbey universe is the fact that the heir to the fortune died, the male heir. And it couldn't be passed on to Mary. So that's how you enter Matthew Crawley and his mother. And that's for the television series. And here we are. We're at the film. And the films have extended the story. Lady Mary has moved on. She has a new husband. He's not present in the two films, I believe. But, you know, and then and then I wanted to mention Barrow, James, uh, Mr. Barrow, Barrow, whose story is, you know, you think about it. He is a gay man. He is is the head butler. In the first film, you know, he finds a friend and then they become close. And then in the second film, he's presented with this again in terms of who he is. He's gone to the pictures in Thirsk with Mr. Barber and old lady Grantham's eating in her room. So Mr. Dexter and Miss Dalglish will be dining alone. Have you let Mrs. Patmore know? I have. We all pity Mr. Dexter. What's the matter? Oh, you wouldn't be interested, Mrs. Hughes. Try me. If you want to. When we had the royal visit, do you remember a valet called Ellis? I do. You and he were quite friendly, I recall. I had a letter from him this morning. Saying he's getting married. And that's sad. I know it shouldn't be. Mr. Barrow, your path in life is a hard one. Most people in your position choose to hide behind appearances that will allow them to avoid persecution and rejection. He's surely not to be blamed for it. It isn't what I want. Mrs. Hughes. Then you're a brave man. But you're also destined to be a lonely one. Unless you're very fortunate. Well, all I know is it seems the public only want films that talk. I should have thought the best thing about films is that you can't hear them. (laughs) Be even better if you couldn't see them either. Everybody gather round, please. Everybody. We are suspending production. I I know, I know. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. We'll contact you all when we've finalized our plans. Thank you. What is it? What's happened? It seems the talkies are making too much money to ignore. While our pictures... And so that's where we've arrived in the film. Is this filmmaker 
kind of like in Gosford Park, hello, has come into the lives of the Crawleys and Granthams. Because I forgot that, you know, I know, that uh, Lady Mary is a Crawley. She's not just a Grantham. Well, so she married again, so. But, and if you remember Gosford Park, there was a filmmaker. Now, I wanted to go back to Barrow. Um, I'm talking to Mrs. Carson about his troubles. And you'll find out in the film that there is a good ending, hopefully, for him. Whether there's another film, who knows? Who knows what happens? Um, <sighs> no. Okay. The film... Wanted to mention the filmmaker because you know this is a film podcast. And uh it it just says something, you know, it's like uh <laughs> let's see. Okay, Michael Egg Engler directed the first film. Simon Curtis replaced him. Um, let me see. Hmm. Okay. Okay, Mr. Barber. Jack Barber. Hugh Dancy plays Jack Barber, the filmmaker. But I wanted to visit the TV series. So let's go to a trailer for the TV series and how it all matches up. How it all began. 12 years ago and how we've delighted to live with these characters. Mr. Carson, I think you ought to see this. What a tragedy. Good morning, Papa. Morning. What's that? Just arrived. Telegram. Neither of them were picked up. That's what he said. Mr. Crawley and Mr. Patrick? That's what he said. Her ladyship was the colour of this cloth. Mr. Crawley was his lordship's cousin and heir to the title. Well, but I thought Lady Mary was the heir. She's a girl, stupid. Girls can't inherit. It never occurred to him that you wouldn't have a son. Well, it didn't. No, you did not. One for you. Hmm. Thank you, Mother. from Lord Grantham. Really? What on earth does he want? He wants to change our lives. And so that's from the first season of Downton Abbey. Now here's the film that started it all right after the series.
No valet, no nanny, even. It's 1927. We're modern folk. coming to Downton. What? I want every surface to gleam and sparkle. A royal luncheon, a parade, and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. How's it all going? Mary's got it under control. Hardly. I need your help, Carson. I'll be there in the morning, my lady. Don't you worry. Welcome to Downton Abbey. Will you have enough cliches to get you through the visit? If not, I'll come to you. Oh, here we go. So that's the first film that started this path in 2019. And so here we are, the second film in 2022. If there is to be another film, then bravo. But if not, then this is where the story ends. Now, I would be remiss if I don't mention the place that stands in for Downton Abbey, the fictional building and town, where it really is Highclear Castle. And here's just a taste. From the golden age of opulence stands Britain's most famous country home. Despite an ancient curse, these houses give up secrets in strange places. And the threat of war and ruin. You don't want to be the Earl that puts the whole thing down. It became the real-life star of Downton Abbey. It never fluffs its lines, does it? And it always looks great. The Secrets of Highclere Castle. And so that's a taste of The Residence, which is a stand-in for Downton Abbey. That's Highclere Castle. Built in 1679, largely renovated in the 1840s, with a park designed by Capability Brown in the 18th century. Highclere Castle has been used as filming location for several films and television series, including 1990s comedy series Jeeves and Worcester, and achieved international fame as the main location for the historical series Downton Abbey from 2010 to 2015, as well as the 2019 and 2022 films. Mm. It holds a lot of secrets. It holds a lot of history. But the fact today that it is a stand-in for these grand homes, it's been an Antiques Roadshow, the High Clear Castle, the BB series in which antiques experts travel to various regions across the United Kingdom to evaluate and price antiques brought by members of the public. It was uh, in The Missionary. And The Secret Garden. The Secret Garden, there was a Hallmark Hall of Fame version directed by Alan Grint, Starring Jeannie James, Brett Oliver, Jordan Steele, and um, uh, Colin Firth. Colin Firth was a basic unknown, as well as uh, Derek Jacoby, Billy Whitlaw, Michael Horderhearn, 
and, the, and it was a very extraordinary version of the Secret Garden. And it was a stand-in for Misselwaite Manor. It was also in A Handful of Dust, Spymaker, The Secret of Life of Ian Fleming, Jeeves and Worcester, King Ralph, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Duel of Hearts, A Sense of History, Eyes Wide Shut, Back to the Secret Garden, The Four Feathers, Agatha Christie's Marple, Stately Suppers, and of course, Downton Abbey. There is also a documentary series called Secrets of the Manor House, Secrets of Highclere Castle. In 2007, the grounds were the, uh, the venue for the Countryside Rocks concert to raise funds for the UK rural advocacy organization Countryside Alliance, featuring Brian Ferry, Steve Winwood, Eric Clapton, Steve Harley, and Kenny Jones. So Highclere Castle is really your Downton Abbey. There is a really great documentary on Highclere Castle. And um, it's a part of Viking Cruises, by the way. Maybe they'll give me a free a free cruise. <laughs> Here's a taste of Highclere. Highclere Castle, world famous as the location for hit drama series Downton Abbey. Over centuries, it's played host to royalty, nobility, and celebrity. It holds unexpected secrets. This is a fairy tale castle with a real life lord and lady, even a real life butler. I think it's very important to maintain standards because once they disappear, they will never come back. This is the behind the scenes story of England's best known country home. Seventy miles west of London lies one of the great estates of England, Highclere. A country house nestling in 5,000 acres. That's five times the size of New York's Central Park. Highclere is the location backdrop for the successful television period drama, Downton Abbey. And walking through its doors is like walking onto the television set. This is a 19th century trophy house designed to show off inherited wealth and far more than just a fictional creation. For Highclere is also a family home for a real lord and lady. The Carnarvon family have lived here for 300 years. Their links with Highclere go back even further. family have owned the land here since the um, time of Charles II's um, reign in the late um, 1600s. George Herbert, the 8th Earl of Carnarvon, inherited his title and the keys to the castle in 2001, just two years after marrying former accountant Fiona Aitken, the present-day Lady Carnarvon. Good afternoon, my lord. Good afternoon, my lady. I met my husband at the end of 96. I first came in January 97. But you don't know when you turn up, you're going to end up marrying. <laughs> you're just a guest. <laughs> and um, I came for a shooting party and we then were together for a couple of years before we got married. Lady Carnarvon married into a classic English fairy tale life, complete with servants, because an estate like Highclere doesn't run itself. Oh, how wonderful. Dunk, actually, then I'd be really happy. Back in the castle's heyday, an army of 60 servants attended to the Lord and Lady's every whim. Today, there's around 20 full-time staff helping manage this historic estate. And so that is the home that serves as the backdrop for Downton Abbey. So there's a book, there's even a documentary on the secrets of Highclere Castle. And I, you know, it's always good to give credit where credit is due. And so check it out. And 
So if there is to be a third film and maybe a fourth film, who knows what's going to happen. I got cut off because I was messing around with the technology. But as I was saying, if there is to be a third and fourth film, then, hey, we will talk about it. But if this really is the final film in the Downton Abbey series, it's been an extraordinary ride getting to know these characters from television and now the screen. And so I, I've enjoyed it. I wish I could have seen it in the theater, as did my cousin. Um, we we're both Downton Abbey aficionados. I even last night watched it. And I have Mrs. Pat Moore's pudding tea. So it was uh, most agreeable. So it was always unpleasant dreams. And as the Dowager Countess would say, what is a weekend? Mm -hmm.